Hello, Inhabit listeners. We're back again on our third season talking about self-awareness. Bench Gould, how you feeling? Very good. Very good. I'm uh, just sitting here, relaxed. We are just all alone in the office, you and I. It's, it's very nice, it's actually. It's nice. It's nice. Just GTD and getting things done. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Hey, I'm going to read out our uh, listener review of the week. This review is from VJB301280. The great boom name. of self-help. It is a great name. VJB301280. Shout out to you, VJB30821. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely got it wrong. Five-star review, which is pretty good. Thank you. Self-help would have to be one of the biggest legal industries these days. So many want to be thinner, fitter, or more productive. Benj and Will explore the way to living our best life and the role habits play in allowing that to happen. Good review. Very fitting for a season on self-awareness because we're pretty self-helpy up in here at times. Would you say we're a self-help podcast? Hmm. Yes. Mm. It's yes. such a negative connotation. It is. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm hesitant to say yes. But look, I want to help myself. And if helping myself helps me help others, sign me up, baby. They need to, there needs to be like a subcategory of self-help, which is other-focused self-help. Yes. Because this is other-focused self-help. Other help. Uh, <laughs> that's good. That's good. Hey, if, um, if you leave a review for us on iTunes, in any review, even one-star review, we might read it out. <laughs> it's not a very strong promise, is it? No. We, we need to be uh, – if you leave a review, we will read it out. We will. Because if we get like inundated with reviews, we'll just do a 30-minute episode Perfect. where we just read them out. Perfect. I the love review it. episode. <laughs> That's probably not going to happen, but please leave us a review. Anyway, picking up where we left off, we did realize as well on this note that not everyone listens to these episodes in the order that we intend for them to be listened to, which is fair enough because when I listen to a podcast, I just look for the most interesting clickbaity title. But we do recommend... I, I am an Enneagram one and that really disturbs me. <laughs> <laughs> These are designed to be listened to in order, people. If you are listening to this and you haven't listened to any other episode, stop right Get now. Get out of here. <laughs> Get away. Turn it off and, uh, and, and uh, we'll see you in like three hours after you've listened to everything else and gotten to this yep. point. Sounds good. To the rest of you who are either just going to ignore that like I would or who have listened to all the previous episodes, we'll continue our discussion around self-awareness. And on this episode, we really want to talk about uh, the different stages of growth and development that we go through and the reality that life changes and things don't always work how they used to. And when we talk about habits, in particular, in particular habits that help us to follow Jesus, um, our stage of life can dramatically change um, what's working for us or not. And something that's always worked for, for many years can suddenly become um, really disorienting 
mm. because we're like, man, I've, I've done it this way for a long time, but suddenly I'm thinking differently or I'm feeling differently or, you know, I've got a new job or my, my life rhythm has changed or now I've got kids in my life and um, all those things make a big difference. And one way I think about this that's helpful is I kind of think we, we go through external changes, which I would loosely refer to as seasons of life. So an external change is, you know, you, you change jobs or you move into a different house. Um, things in your external world change. But then I think we go through internal stages and there are things that happen in our inner world which change. We begin to think of things in different ways. We begin to ask different questions. And I think they're often related and connected. I think often the external changes in our world can spark internal changes. Um, but the whole thing can just be super disorienting, particularly if we don't know what to expect. We can go through change and we can just feel like, we're kind of in that total existential crisis moment. Ah, nothing works like it used to. I'm just going to throw in the towel and sit in the corner and just, you know, never leave the house again. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think uh, such a large part of self-awareness is understanding your stage, understanding what's going on in the world around you, um, in your culture, in, you know, how old you are, you know, whether you've got kids or not, changing environments and what's happening internally as well. Um, Will, I know you've like over the last couple of years have gone through a fair bit of change. What has that been teaching you about yourself and how have you been able to, um, I, I guess it's, it's easy for people to go through change and things change and they question what's going on and sometimes things fall apart because of that. I've seen you sort of go through a fair bit of change, but uh, keep yourself together in in uh, in in a good way. What have you learnt through change, through different seasons, through different stages of development that has helped you become more like Jesus? Good question, Benj, and thank you for asking, and thank you for thinking that I've handled that change well because it hasn't always felt like I'm uh, you know kind of staying centered, but I've done my best. Um, but it probably goes back to uh, about six years ago. I was, uh, you know, me and Sam had been married for one year and we had both grown up in Canberra and a lot of aspects of life had been pretty stable till that point in time. I was born in Canberra. I basically lived in the same house for 20 years. And then I lived in a couple of houses in a shorter period of time um, before and, and after getting married. Um, but so much of my life had been pretty stable. I grew up in the same church all that time. Uh, and I had a lot of beliefs that were, were pretty stable across my life. It's not like I ever had any dramatic conversion to Christianity. I just kind of, as the air I lived and breathed. Um, but then, you know, we, we moved to the Central Coast partly because we wanted to experience um, kind of that knowledge of, hey, things that we've always known a certain way aren't the only way that people do them. So what would life be like in a different place? Um, so there's heaps of change through that. And, you know, just without going into all the detail in the last six years while living here, um, I've worked in multiple different environments, including most recently starting my own business. Uh, I have um, become a, a father and we have two little boys. I've been throughout that time, I've been, you know, studying different things and sometimes enrolled in formal study while juggling two jobs. And so my life is constantly changing and partly I'm I'm kind of a personality that gets fueled by adventure and pioneering and trying out different things. But 
every one of those changes, whether it's changing a, a job role or moving into a different state um, or becoming a parent, have all really forced me to have a look at the way I've been living my life and to ask, is this going to work for the next stage? And there are things that worked before becoming a parent that don't work anymore. And there are things uh, that worked in previous jobs that aren't going to work as a self-employed person. And so I think that there's always that kind of disruption. Uh, but one thing I've learned is when you're experiencing a disruption in life, when you're experiencing a change, that's probably the best opportunity not to ask, oh, what's going to happen to what I did yesterday, but to ask what is going to help me to become who I want to be tomorrow, which you know is not always a comfortable or easy question to ask. Um, but I think that's probably the biggest thing I've learned is to be focused on what are the things I need to grow in in order to be the parent or the business owner or the pastor or the whatever that I want to be in the future. Mm. Yeah, I think that's I think that's great. I remember sitting uh, with my counsellor and um, I had recently really got into the Enneagram, which we're going to look at later in this uh, season, which I'm really excited about. But for some reason, I just like felt drawn to to f- kind of self-discovery, trying to understand myself better. And my counsellor said to me, look, it looks like your external world is about to grow. We're about to plant a church. And this is your way of telling your internal world that it needs to grow with it. And um, I think we're probably in that consistent struggle, hey, of like the external world changing, our internal world needs to catch up. Sometimes our, our internal world changes before our external world does. And it's kind of like... yeah playing this kind of leapfrog catch up. Um, I think of, I always think of the like uh, the physics image of inertia, you know, the school bus stops yeah. and you kind of move forward because the bus stopped before your body knew what was going on. And I think that's right. Those things are kind of like uh, they kind of are moving together, but not always perfectly in sync. Mm. Maybe that's the, the image of growth, this kind of like inertia, flip flopping, messy, consistently changing and flinging different parts of us forward as we become more of who we are, as we navigate life and changes and different stages of development. Um, maybe maybe that, that's the kind of picture we need to think of when it comes to becoming more like Jesus rather than kind of a straight linear line of just becoming more holier or a nicer person or, or whatever it is. Yeah. And like in many areas of our life, one thing that has helped me uh, significantly in this area is uh, adjusting my expectations. And I think if you have the expectation that the way that you feel right now or the way that you practice your habits right now or the way that you engage with faith right now is the way that you're always going to, that kind of expectation is going to set you up for some real pain when uh, some significant suffering comes your way or when the way that you've done things suddenly isn't working anymore. So it's helped me to adjust my expectations and to adjust my expectations so that even though I'm, you know, might be enjoying where I'm at, I'm always kind of uh, aware that the next stage of, of growth is probably going to involve disruption, is probably going to involve discomfort. And there's lots of different theories of development uh, that people might want to look into. But uh, a famous one, for example, is there's a guy named James Fowler and he developed a theory uh, called Fowler's Stages of Faith, where he kind of looked at six different stages that people move through from when they're zero years old uh, to when they're a kid to when they're a teenager, when they're in their 20s. Um, And the important thing is um, 
basically not everyone goes through all of those stages. And one of the reasons is that sometimes growth looks more like regression if you haven't been through it yet. And I guess a huge area where I think this is kind of something the church needs to grapple with at this moment in time is there are lots of people going through deconstruction. We talked a little bit about this on our previous episode. There are lots of people questioning what they've been given and, and wondering that same question, is what I've been given from yesterday going to take me into the future? Is the way the church has uh, operated in the last hundred years going to serve it well for the next hundred? We need to ask those questions. But a lot of people going through deconstruction, if you're not going through it, you can look at those people and you can think they're backsliding or they're losing their faith or they're asking the wrong questions. Um, and to be honest, some people do end up uh, just spiraling down into existential crisis forever and then rejecting the whole thing. But people that have moved beyond that know that they couldn't have moved into that next stage of growth without going through that. And I think you see this in lots of places, you know, like I've, I've got little kids who have baby teeth and they're going to have to lose those teeth before they gain adult teeth. Mm. I don't go to the gym personally, but I've been told by people that do <laughs> that the process of going to the gym is a process of basically tearing your muscles so that they can grow back bigger. And so it's really helped me to, to kind of recognise that the stage of deconstruction or the stage of things coming apart or the stage of unlearning is actually a, a growth stage if it's followed by um, the adult teeth coming through or the muscles rebuilding. Yeah, that's right. I think the, that, that, that's the exact point that deconstruction always has to end in reconstruction of some sort, right? Otherwise, we just get stuck. Mm. Um, Richard Raw has this model that he talks about when it comes to understanding God and, and ourselves. N.T. Wright has a very similar one. Uh, Richard Raw talks about uh, going from order to disorder to reorder. Mm. N.T. Wright says orientation, disorientation, reorientation. And it's this kind of consistent, um, consistent kind of development and, and wheel that we need to go through as we grow that um, in order for us to change and grow, there's this uncomfortable middle stage of disorder or disorientation where the old ways don't work anymore or the, the thing that you thought would, would carry you through isn't carrying you through anymore. Um, and you can't skip it. You can't just go from order to reorder or orientation to reorientation. You've got, you've got to go through that unpleasant middle stage. Yeah, that's right. The, the, and just like you were saying, the, the reg, it looks like regression sometimes. It looks like you're going backwards, but actually it's the way to go forwards. It's kind of the upside-down kingdom, right, that um, the way to grow is, is to, to go through the hard stuff and the uncertain stage. Yeah. Um, and that, that happens in, in big ways and small ways through different life changes, internal, external stuff, um, but to me, like that, that's the whole story of the Bible as well. Mm. You look at, you know, the Bible starts in the Garden of Eden and it's the story of creation. And then there's this big story of decreation mm. where, um, you know, God's good world is, is thrown into disorder because humans have their own th free will and, and things are messed up. And it's this kind of messy thing of working out what does a relationship with God look like now? What does it look like to be a people of God? And Jesus comes in the midst of that and, and you know, uh, the incarnation and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And it all leads to 
a recreation, a new creation. So it's kind of this creation, decreation, new creation, the same thing that Raw and Wright talk about. Even resurrection is an amazing example of that, that Jesus would come and have life, that he would give away his life, and that then he would take up new life. Um, I think there's like a a talk that Rob Bell did a couple of years ago where he talked about, um, you know, the resurrection is not a resuscitation, that there actually has to be a death for resurrection. It's not just like there was an unconsciousness. And that's really painful, right? If we think that, you know, if to become like Jesus means to follow Jesus into the death of ourselves, that's not just like the, the laying down for a sleep. It's actually things have to die for the new thing to break through. Mm. And when you're in that dying stage, when you're in that, you know, thing that you've always held tightly being kind of torn open, um, or the thing that you've held tightly, you feel like you're being asked to let go of, that can feel like the end. And so I guess the, the really big message that I want people to, to hear if they're listening to this is if that's where you are, if you are sitting in the stage that feels like dying or all you have is questions and you have very few answers left that seem to make sense um, or you feel like, you know, you just don't, you don't really, you've got more doubt than faith. Um, that's actually sometimes, you know, that's exactly where uh, life is waiting to emerge. That's mm. exactly where something is waiting to bloom. And I don't say that uh, in a way that means you're not going to have to do work um, because there is, I think those are the moments that people either get derailed or they choose to rebuild something better. And that's really hard. It can be, it can be a lot easier and, and very tempting just to chuck it. But I encourage you, what does it look like to ask, where's the life on the other side of what feels like a death right now? Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, part of growing in maturity is working out how to walk through that, that stage. Um, Raw, in his kind of uh, model of order, disorder, reorder, he has this quote that says, conservatives normally get trapped in the first stage of order. Like we want to keep things the way that protect, they were. Protect, protect what has always been, the tradition. Um, protect the way that things worked for me back then um, where progressives get trapped in the second stage of disorder like everything is wrong we're going to throw out everything to do with church tradition everything that I've I was taught is wrong I'm going to throw everything out um, but he, he talks about very few people actually get to the third part of reorder mm. or, or new creation or reorientation however you want to say that um, and it actually takes maturity to, and we need both those things. We need the order and the disorder. And out of those two things, the, the, the third way is, is birthed. And that's actually where, where I think the good news and the health and the life and the progression is. Yeah, it's beautiful. And the third way, that's a good phrase to use. And it's a phrase people talk about sometimes when they talk about these things. We often feel like there's only two choices. Like there's only two forks in the road. Like there's only conservative or progressive or there's only the past or the future or there's only left or right um, when actually often the best option is kind of the hidden one that you might have to like, um, you might have to reject the option that you're being given and go, you know what? I think there's a way to have the best of both and to reject the worst of both. Uh, I love in, in the fouler stages of faith material, um, he talks about you know, going through that in, in his model stage four is like the deconstruction phase. 
And a mark of going through that stage into the next stage is being able to embrace paradox. Mm. And that's a huge thing that like when I was a kid or when I was a teenager, my brain couldn't handle that. And it's not, it wasn't actually the, the right thing for me at the time. I think about, you know, my three and a half year old son and trying to explain to him uh, seemingly conflicting ideas and saying, you know, this paradox, both might actually be true. That's just not appropriate for a three and a half year old or a 15 year old or maybe even, you know, 20 year old. Um, but there does come a point in your growth where maturity is about holding seemingly conflicting ideas and being able to say, yep, maybe both. Maybe there's, there's a way to actually hold the tension rather than always snapping to the extremes. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm preaching to myself here as much as anyone else because I know how tempting it is to see something ugly and to want to reject it to the point where you end up in something that's just the opposite. But often the opposite is actually kind of the same. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, and our, our faith has to, has to grow up, you know, and even when it comes to reading the Bible or the way we experience church, you think about um, the story of Noah's Ark and as a kid, um, you know, you read it in your, in your story Bible and it's all about the rainbow and the animals in the ark. And then later on, like as you grow, you have to realize that actually God's killing a bunch of people, you know, and, and there's a flood. And um, you've got to wrestle through actually what that means and what that looks like. And it becomes a much more complex story than um, a story about a boat and a rainbow. Mm-hmm. Um, and that happens with everything in life. We have to, we have to go through different stages and it doesn't mean that the storybook version of the story is, is wrong or, or um, not appropriate or, you know, it's, it's helpful. Like it's helpful at that stage, but it, it doesn't always carry us through to the next stage. Um, and so we have to learn. We have to learn how to grow up. We have to learn how to push through the discomfort, push through the disorientation. And uh, we have to learn how to name our stage, which is, which is super important. Do you have any tips, Will, around, you know, when you hit a stage of disorientation or disorder or when things have stopped working, what to do in that stages or tips of how to actually, you know, walk through that thing in a healthy way? to get through to the other side of order or reorder. Yeah, I definitely have a few things I've learned that have been really helpful. Uh, you know, one of those, um, I guess the most obvious one, which we've kind of already said, is just to acknowledge um, that that's a reality. Like just to acknowledge that things change can feel very, um, when you normalise it, it can feel comforting. When you go, I'm not the only person going through this and this is not the end of the road, it's just a complicated chapter that can really um, be really helpful. Uh, I also think it's a huge thing to have community um, as we go through our stages. And it's important to have community at different stages. Like if you are just a community of people that are um, in a stage of deconstruction and you've got no one there who's seen the promised land of the other side of reconstruction of a better version of things, um, then that's going to be a really hard place to have hope. Um, But on the other hand, if you're kind of a a community of people that are all afraid of asking those difficult questions and you're afraid of that growth, then that's going to be an immature community ultimately. So I would encourage you to have people around you and voices speaking into your life um, from a spectrum of different stages of life, different experiences, different viewpoints. You don't have to agree with them all, but staying connected in community to them all helps you, um, I think, to go through the humbling process 
of realizing that you are just one, one story, one person. And, uh, you know, sometimes we think because we're in the age of kind of ultra enlightenment and knowledge and information um, that we can see everything just so clearly. But if we surround ourselves by people of different cultures, different traditions, even different faiths, mm. I think that helps us to position ourselves in a more humble way where we can still be confident about who we are but be growing from, from that exposure to difference. Yeah, and I think, I think the exposure even within our own faith um, to different silos within our faith. I, I know for me, like asking some really hard questions about what I believe and, and um, the way that church should be, sometimes just getting out of your little tribe or silo and realizing there are plenty of other Christians that think differently to you, yeah. that still follow Jesus and still love Jesus and that, that you know, they're not the enemy, they're, they're on the journey as well. And there's so much to learn from the way different people do church, the way different people have different theology um, and just the uh, exposure to other mm. thoughts and ideas is just really helpful in that disorder stage because mm. often the disorder comes from coming out of order in a specific tribe or space where this is the only answer. And sometimes exposing yourself to other answers and other thoughts actually helps you regain and recapture, you know, what, what you lost and, and bring it out in the third wave, you know, not just completely reject it, but to recreate it and to um, uh, form it more fully within your own life and heart and soul. Yeah, 100%. Uh, another thing that I think is really helpful, which we've talked about in previous uh, episodes of Inhabit is um, just to get experimental with your actual habits and rhythms and practices and, um, you know, not to stop something like praying but if you've prayed a certain way for years and suddenly it feels like it's a long dry desert then maybe try praying in a different way yeah. um, maybe you know again explore the the rich tradition that we're a part of like the bigger tradition that goes beyond your small t tradition and um, you know find other ways I, th I think that can be really helpful in the book of ecclesiastes chapter 3 there's this famous beautiful poetic passage of scripture around uh, a time for everything, you know, a season for everything. And I, I love the contrasting images in there. You know, there's like a, a season to laugh and a season to cry and there's a season to gather stones and a season to scatter stones and there's a season for peace and a season for war and all these contrasting images. Um, and kind of I think there's, it's, a, it's one of the wisdom texts in the Bible and it's, it's the wisdom of acknowledging that there are these different times, stages, seasons. But then in the scriptures, there's also verses like in Hebrews uh, chapter 6, verse 19, we read, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And um, a couple of verses before that, it says God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear. And so I love that, you know, scripture gives us a picture of change and of seasons and of movement, but it also gives us an image of, of an anchor and of an unchanging God. And so to me, I try and hold both those images at the same time. I try and sort of in one hand, if you want to imagine it this way, hold the reality of, of change and growth and disruption and, and, you know, deconstruction, reconstruction, all of that. And in the other hand, just hold this sense that uh, there are things that I believe are anchor points. There are things that I want to hold on to regardless of what season I'm in. And uh, I was speaking about this stuff at church recently, actually, and, uh, a, a amazing person in our church who I really love and look up to came to me afterwards and said, 
they were asking themselves the question, and they're several decades older than me, they were asking themselves the question, how have I held on to that anchor through the years? They've been through a lot of this stuff. And then they said, then I realized actually it was the anchor that was holding on to me. Mm. I thought that was a beautiful thought. And, and sometimes maybe that's all you have to think is, I don't even know if I'm holding on to the anchor right now, but I'm going to have faith that the anchor is holding on to me. Mm. And that no matter how much change I go through, it's not just that I am somehow gripping onto God, but actually to give yourself the image that God is gripping onto you, wherever mm. you're at, you are held in, uh, in the hands of grace. Beautiful. I love it. I love it. And that, I mean, that takes a level of self-awareness as well to know that, well, firstly, what are the things I want to anchor my life around? And secondly, realizing that, uh, you know, I don't have the power to anchor myself, but I need someone else to anchor me. And we need community and we need the spirit of God. Um, And both of those things I think are, are critical and key through times of disorientation and disorder. And they're the things that will carry us through to reorder and new creation and recreation, the spirit of God, community, and the thing that we want to anchor in. And one final, one final really quick story. We were, um, you know, we were in this uh, group with Tim P.S. He's uh, a pastor in Melbourne and he shared this story with us a while ago. I hope he doesn't mind me sharing this. Um, but somebody who he was journeying with who kind of, you know, had maybe lost, lost their faith at that point in time. And we're really questioning everything. And, uh, you know, there was kind of this question, if God was saying something to you right now, what do you think God would be saying? And uh, basically, you know, in, in, in community, the answer this person came to was, well, fake it till you make it, which is not always the thing that you would hear uh, a pastor endorsing or, you know, not always the thing that we would recommend. But I think there's some truth in just keep on going, even if, it doesn't feel uh, like it's going to make sense anytime soon. Uh, and, you, you know, there's paradox here. You've got to balance this with sometimes there's a time to let go of things. But I think as well, like when something's not working, there is sometimes a wisdom in just keep on with it until it comes to life again. Yeah. It reminds me of Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. And the idea that, the, the valley of the shadow of death is something that we walk through, not something we stay in. And so it's not a pleasant place, but it's just it's the walking through, the consistent plot, you know, that, that at the end we will get out of the valley of the shadow of death. Yeah, so good. Well, I'm going to finish this episode with a poem. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, go and give us a five-star review after you've listened to that. And uh, big props to Josh Corkill for the intro music. Even though we don't do our scripted intro over it, it's still great music. Before I was born, my mother and father moved from their respective country towns, became same city bound, and together found the quiet Australian Christian values they were raised with, became the awakened zeal of passionate university evangelists. My dad, son of a farmer, always wanted to be a pastor. He is an architect. I now realise he has always been a pastor to me. There were four kids before I came on the scene, 
six by the time the family was complete. And so I, number five, was born breathing Bible stories into lungs, immersed in words faithfully sung, seeing Old Testament violence filtered through animated vegetables using clever puns. I was suspicious of Santa from an early age. I was singing Ba Ba Do Ba Ba to Colin Buchanan tapes at five years old. In the kitchen with my mother, I asked Jesus to enter my heart. Nothing deeply profound and yet as simple and beautiful as it still sounds. Years later, I would question the validity of my five-year-old faith. But now I think a five-year-old's faith carries no hate. A five-year-old's faith knows no shame. A five-year-old's faith could be pretty great. Fast forward to when I am 14 years old. I think life is pretty swell. I'm on MSN Messenger warning my friends about hell. I hate Muslims, atheists, gay people as well. I am very confident I know how everything works. I love Jesus, but my faith holds darkness unsearched, assumptions unquestioned, questions forbidden, collections of unwritten biases I was unconsciously given. At 17 years old, I am leading classroom debates about the age of the earth. I am turning the public schoolyard into a church. I am passionate, naive, and clumsy at best. I avoid alcohol, swear words, gay people, and sex. In the eyes of some, I am a success. I wonder if in the eyes of others, I was a threat. 19 years old. I wade through philosophy tutorials and set texts to add to my self-righteousness, undergraduate pretentiousness. My mind is engaging more deeply, but the answers are still predetermined. God is still a middle-class capitalist white boy like me, and I still know how everything works. 20 years old, I'm spitting raps about Jesus in juvenile justice facilities when I begin to see aspects of faith a little differently. I begin to wonder if some of these kids would be welcomed if they rocked up to services on Sundays. I begin to confront aspects of myself that seem a little ugly. I begin to wonder if I have misunderstood how some things work. The seeds of new questions are planted in the soil of my soul. 25 years old, I become a father. Two months later, I become a pastor. Both of these roles bring questions harder than any I had grappled with prior. Chips to the armour. I'm having casual existential crises between Sunday sermons, trying to exercise leadership that looks more like service. I'm hyper-conscious of the fact that I'm in a position of power and authority, trying to follow the rabbi whose life was marked by sacrifice and poverty. My heart has felt the insane expansion of parental responsibility. My past now looks like a breadcrumb trail of judgmental hypocrisy. I no longer know how everything works, but I am still convinced that Jesus is the hope of the cosmos, the neighborhood, and me. 29 years old, and here's where I'm at. My faith is a vibrant patchwork with some open gaps. I'm no longer desperate to hide every hole. I have lost the illusion that God is mine to control. I no longer believe my body is just a container for a heaven-bound soul. I prefer to think of it as part of a cosmic broken temple being made whole. I am ashamed of the people my faith was wielded like a knife at, particularly those who weren't present to fight back. All the ones I ridiculed before meeting round tables, ideas formed without relationship based purely on fables. 
I grieve often for my friends who have had to face a choice between a faith community or an honest faith. It should never have been a choice in the first place. If nothing else, shouldn't church at least be safe? These snapshots of my evolving faith, they are pictures of broken humanity sprinkled with grace. There are past versions of me that I struggle to like. I pray the future versions of me look more like Christ. Sometimes it feels like everything I believe has changed. Except one thing, one name, at the centre remains. These days I know how very little works, but now I think that's okay. I still believe Jesus loves me, like when I was five years old.